listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. At the first week of this series, I explained to you how God prepared a bride for Adam by putting him into a sleep, opening his side, and then taking a rib and creating a woman out of Adam's rib. God did the same thing with the second man, Adam, a man that knew no sin, God's son, Jesus Christ. It was not until after he went to sleep on the cross, they pierced his side, it was only then that the bride of Christ started being prepared for the bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Church, how many of you know we are the bride of Christ? Amen? You've got to get that in your mind. We are the bride of Christ, and like Eve, we are being designed, we are being remade in intricate detail, just as the Bible described Eve in the Hebrew. God designed her with intricate detail for Adam. We are being designed with intricate detail for him to present us to Jesus. So that's where we're at right now. In this phase of life right now, in in this moment in eternity, we are being prepared for the bridegroom. Last week, I looked at the stages of a first century Jewish wedding and how the verbiage that that Jesus used to describe his ascension and his eventual return are rooted in these customs. Jesus knew his crowd and he knew how he had to describe this to them and, and they understood what he was saying. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is coming back to receive his bride. Ready or not, the bridegroom is coming And we have to be found ready and prepared. There's no ifs, ands, or buts, church. We have to be ready and we have to be prepared. There was a little boy that attended a wedding with his mother. And that church had a a center aisle. Now listen, we don't have a center aisle here. We have one that comes about halfway to make it more convenient to get into those middle seats. But when we host a wedding here... We take out these seats, widen the middle aisle, and so we have a center aisle. So imagine that. The, the little boy went with his mom to a church that had a center aisle. And, and the bride walked down the aisle, and, 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 and near the altar area, she met her groom. And the little boy looked up at his mom, and he said, Mommy, why does the bride wear white? And she didn't think that, that he was of an age where it was appropriate for her to explain what the, the symbolism was there of, of her wearing white. So, so she answered the, her, her son and she said, listen, the bride is in white because she's joyful. This is the happiest day of her life. So she gets to wear white. The boy thought for a moment and, and then he said, well, mommy, then why is the groom wearing black? I sometimes overhear young parents in our church jokingly mention arranging their children's marriage with other children from the church. I mean, it sounds like a plan, right? Like, you're like, you, you see it. They're, you know, they're, they're besties. I mean, moms are besties. They hang out all the time. And they have children within one or two years of, of one another, and, and they enjoy hanging out. The children play well together. You know, they're like one, maybe two years old. They play well together. Um, and and th- these, these moms are just overwhelmed with the joy at the thought of raising their children together and, and doing life together. I mean, who doesn't want to be friends with their children's in-laws, right? I mean, we want that. that that's like a dream. If, if we're going to raise our children, let's raise them together. Let's let them get married. And we know we like each other, so it, it'll be great. You know, we can figure out Christmases and Thanksgiving and all that good stuff. It, we'll, we'll work well together. And 
But let's face it, let's face it. Sometimes, sometimes people fall in love and the in-laws, his parents and her parents, don't always see eye to eye. Don't point it at your spouse or, or if your in-laws are in the room, certainly don't look at them right now. You just keep your eyes on me. And sometimes it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't feel like you like each other very much. Like the, the two sides don't always get along. So <clears throat> the possibility of your child marrying your best friend's child sounds amazing, right? Sounds, sounds great. I mean, like a match made in heaven, I guess. And that's fine until little Danny grows up to be Dan. Because it's cute when little four-year-old Danny is picking his nose. But it's not near as cute when 44-year-old Dan is picking his nose, right? It, it, it loses something there. Or, or think about this, that, that little diva act that that precious little girl has. I mean, she's pretty, thank God, because she's got this little attitude with her. And everybody thinks it's cute when, when, when she's just a little girl, right? But that same little diva act grows up. Carrie becomes Karen. And let me tell you, you better be careful what you pray for, because fixing your kids up, mm-mm. arranging marriages, you better be careful because you'll get what you're praying for, and some of you don't even know what you're praying for. So I can assure you with this, hear me, hear me, church, I can assure you with this, that as the bride of Christ, you're not in an arranged marriage. That's not the way this thing works. You're not being forced into anything. You have a choice in this. This is not an arranged marriage. God has given you the ability to choose eternal life with him, or you can choose eternal torment separated from him. The choice is yours. Nobody's making you. And so understand, it is not an arranged marriage for you being in the bride of Christ. But I need you to remember this. God chose us. God chose us. You may not choose him, but God chose us. He wasn't obligated to do so. He didn't have to. He wasn't tricked into this like, like Jacob from the Old Testament was. He, he wasn't forced into it like the prophet Hosea was. He wasn't created into it like Adam was. They didn't have choices in their marriages. We're given a choice but God desperately wants to be joined with you forever, so he chose you. Listen to what Jesus said in John 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me. I chose you. And man, if that doesn't explain my spiritual life, there have been moments in my life where I did not choose Jesus, but thanks be to God, he chose me. He chose me. God loved me enough that he chose me. 1 Peter 2 and 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You are God's special possession. Ephesians 1 and 4, Paul says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. I don't want you to miss that. There's so much hope in that. Listen to it. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. It, it, it wasn't like, like Christ was looking through the litter trying to pick the, the best dog. 
I mean, like the grand champion. It wasn't like that at all. He, he loved us and he saw past our mistakes. He looked past our blemishes. He, he saw you as you were and he said, I still choose you. I choose you. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, no matter what life has looked like, no matter how much you've sinned. He, he had the ability to look past my sin. Isn't that the greatness and the grace of our God? That, that, that even in my sin, even in my sin, he has the ability to look at me and, and see me without fault in his eyes. In other words, he doesn't look at me for who I am. He looks at me for who I can be in Christ. That is the promise of our Heavenly Father. That's what we get. That's the grace that is bestowed upon our lives. Romans 5 and 8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when I was a sinner, he knew that I was a sinner and he still died for me. And someone needs to come to the understanding that Christ chose you. Other people may have discarded you. Some people that you thought loved you, they cast you aside. They don't have time for you anymore. You thought it was forever, but for some reason they chose not you. But Christ looks at you and says, I choose you. I choose you. In the middle of your mess, he said, I choose you. In the middle of your sin, he says, I choose you. In all of the circumstances, and all of the, the mess that you got yourself into, Jesus says, I choose you. And as I said last week, he is now preparing a place for you so that where he is, there you may be also. Now, when the father gives the son the signal, now I don't know what that looks like. I've been thinking about this a lot. It, maybe the father just, just looks at the son. Maybe he looks at Christ and he's just like. Maybe it's like a baseball signal, you know. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. But when he gives him the word, when he gives him the signal, at some point, Christ is coming for his bride. He is coming to gather the church and to take us to be with him forever. That is the promise that we hold on to. That when the father tells the son, go get your bride, he is going to gather those of us who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's going to gather us together as the church and he's going to take us to be with him forever. Now some of you, some of you might think that this is the end. Like, okay, we've covered it all. You know, it, it's, we, we, we've made it through the book. And you might think, well, this is the end. It's not. It's really just the beginning. You have to forget everything that you know about time because it doesn't translate into eternity. You see, it's like this. When, when we consider a wedding, you don't look at the couple and think at the end of the ceremony, well, that was good while it lasted. It's all downhill from here. Well, you might. I mean, there's some people that you know. I mean... It doesn't support my calls right now, but uh, like, you know, I heard of somebody this week that, that started dating again, and I, I felt like saying, give me the number to the guy, because I need to tell him, run. Like, you don't, you don't want to be with that. And I like, it's the beginning of the end. I know it is, but forget that. For most weddings, for most weddings, we look at them, and we don't look at the wedding and think, 
it's over. No, when they say I do, we look at it as this is the beginning of a new life together. We look at it as, as filled with new possibilities. I mean, think about what God can do in their marriage and through their marriage. Just, just the, and, 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 and we look at it as a fresh start. It's a new beginning. <clears throat> as it relates to the marriage supper of the Lamb, I need you to understand that there's far more after the marriage supper of the Lamb than came before the marriage supper of the Lamb. Again, forgetting time. Forget what you know. There's far more that takes place after the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it doesn't end. It's for eternity, and it's hard for us to comprehend that. There is no ending to that. And there is more that happens after the marriage supper of the Lamb than before the marriage supper of the Lamb. We've got to come to the realize that to the realization that this life is, is just a vapor is what the scripture says. This life is just a, a vapor. It's just, it's just a blink. That's all it is. And your lifespan on earth, it fails in comparison to eternal life that has no end. Now, now so many people think that eternal life is us being stuck on a little white cloud, floating around aimlessly, wearing you know, togas and, and playing our little harps. I think sometimes that that's, that's how we view eternity. And, and I need you to understand, that's not eternity. We, we've had books, cartoons, storybooks, TV shows, all of it falsified. We've had that kind of describe what, what heaven is going to look like for us, what eternity is going to look, but, but I need you to understand this. That's not it. Eternity means there's a new heaven and a new earth. And, and we, we have to understand that we will once again fill and subdue the earth. And, and, I, and I'll get to this in a moment, but I'm telling you, there's, there's purpose for a new heaven and a new earth. And we're just not stuck on a cloud. We're able to, to travel. We're able to, to, to maneuver around. There, there, we'll be able to visit each other. We'll be able to eat and, and all, all of that. All, everything that we love about life will still be enjoyed in life. And, and, and some of you just think, well, I, I don't know if I just want to worship forever. Well, first thing I want to tell you about that is consider your alternative. Would you want to worship forever or burn forever? I mean, you, you figured that one out, okay? It doesn't take a rocket scientist. But I also want you to understand, listen, even though there's 24-7 worship in heaven, that's not all you do in heaven. Because you need to understand that there's 24-7 worship in heaven right now. Worship didn't start when we walked in the room, the countdown ended, and they struck the first chord. That's not when worship starts. We are just joining in in worship. Worship is already transpiring. It has been, it is, and it's going to be. Worship doesn't stop 24-7 around the throne of God. There are beings that are created to do nothing but worship. And I promise you, in eternity, when you get close to that atmosphere, you're just, you might be just walking down streets of gold one day and be like, you, you hear that? Let, let's go worship. And, and you might just take a worship break for, for a thousand years or something. And then, and, because you've got eternity. You've got eternity. There, there's, there's no time limits on any of this. And so I need you to understand that, yes, worship takes place 24-7. It didn't start today when we came to church. We get to join in with it. Listen to this, Revelation 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, 
clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so we get to join in with that. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and, and on that new earth, we will get to rule and reign with King Jesus. We will get to rule and reign with him. Revelation 5 and 10 says, And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. You see, there's purpose. There's even power behind it. We will get to reign with King Jesus on the earth. 2 Timothy 2 and 12. If we endure, we will also reign with him. Church, we will rule and reign with Christ. But my favorite part about heaven and the one that's just got me messed up this morning is that there will be a reunion with loved ones who have already entered into eternity. And man, I'm looking forward to that. I've been bombarded this week with with people being diagnosed with cancer and illnesses and sicknesses and And I can tell you, staring at eternity, studying eternity this week, I've missed my dad. And I cannot. I can't wait until that reunion. First Thessalonians chapter four. Verses 13 through 17 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Let's pause right there. He says, I want, I want to make sure you understand this, is what Paul says. I want to make sure that you comprehend this. Because, yes, we miss them. We grieve. Those who are in Christ that have already died, we grieve but, but we don't grieve like those who have no hope is what he says. We grieve because we miss them presently. But understand, we get to spend eternity together and that far exceeds what we've already experienced here. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant of this is what he says. He says, I want you to understand that we grieve, but we grieve with hope. Verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. They just got a head start on us is all it is. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Remember how... Uh, when, when they came for the, the bride, the Jewish custom, they, came, they would shout. They would announce the arrival of the, uh, of the groom. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. And then they would blow the shofar in celebration. Uh, uh, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Stop there just for a moment. Let's go back to the wedding. After the groom comes to receive his bride, now the party begins. It's a party now. 
All of the weight, all the preparation has been, been, been handled. Now it's a party. And in the Jewish marriage process, the bride was then lifted and carried. They, they would have a, a stretcher-like uh, type of thing, and they would have a seat on it, and she would sit on that, and they would lift it up, and men would carry her from her mom and dad's house to the groom's parents' house where there has been a room that has been prepared for them to, to, to begin their marriage together. And so they would carry this bride. All she had to do was enjoy the celebration. Get this. She was carried to a celebration that she didn't plan. She had nothing to do with the planning. It's not her responsibility. She's carried to a celebration that she didn't plan, nor did she work to provide for the event. It hasn't cost her one dime. All she had to do was enjoy the celebration, and they would carry her to it. Verse 17. Then together... With them. Who? Who is them? Those that who have died in Christ already. They have already died in Christ. It says, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Understand, we are now heading to a celebration that we did not plan. We are heading to a celebration. It does not cost us anything. The price of this celebration was already paid for at Calvary. We have not anything invested in this at all. Now it's party time. It's an eternal celebration from this moment on. And man, I, I, I tell you, it, it's, it's a close second here. I told you the reunion is, is, is the, the part I'm looking forward to the most. The second part is it's, it's, it's time to eat. Listen, Rocky loves to eat. I didn't get this size by not eating, okay? I love to eat. And there's a feast in heaven. Somebody say amen. amen. There's a feast in heaven. And listen, it's not, I'm not talking about a spiritual feast. Like you show up here and we feed you spiritually. That's not what I'm talking about. It's actual food. It's, you get to enjoy life the way life was meant to be enjoyed. We get to eat in heaven. And, and, and it's not scriptural, okay? I'm telling you this. This is my imagination working. So I always like to, to preface with that when, when it's not based on scripture. But... My mind, my mind sees a glimpse of what this is going to look like. Have you ever been on this cruise ship? And it's buffets 24-7. You ever been on one of those? Like, if you want to eat in the middle of the night, like if you wake up and you're just like, I can't go back to sleep, and nachos sound really good right now. <laughs> or I would really like a slice of pizza, or a whole pizza, or whatever. It's there. It's there 24-7 on a cruise ship. You can go and you can eat. You can find something to eat. And God forbid that you walk from the pool deck back into the interior of the boat because there's always that ice cream machine right there. You ever noticed it? That ice cream machine, and you can't pass by it. It's, it's, it just lures you right in. You have to get an ice cream cone. I prefer the swirl. You get the swirl. and you, It's just great. It's great. 24-7, buffet, smorgasbord. It is just fantastic. Maybe it's not like that. But, but in my, if it's not like that, don't you prove me wrong because that's, that's like my heaven. It's my heaven. It might not be your heaven. My heaven has a buffet. A place so fulfilling you can hurt yourself. But it's heaven. There's no sickness. So we can eat and we don't become sick. Amen. As many of you know, our annual 21 days of prayer and fasting ended last Sunday. And on Monday, Caleb and I were scheduled to go to Orlando for my birthday in December. Caleb and Mariah bought me two tickets 
to see the Boston Celtics, my favorite team, um, number one in the East right now, by the way, um, 17 NBA championships, but who's counting? Um, the, the Boston Celtics were playing the Orlando Magic, and um, they bought me two tickets for it, um, but Caleb wanted to make sure that he was going with me, so he never gave me the tickets. They were on his phone. So me and Caleb went to Orlando, and, and I thought about it on the way down. I thought, man, the fast is coming to an end, and my favorite restaurant is, is in Orlando. It's, it's a little place called Texas de Brazil. Mm. So I, I, I went online to make reservations, and the earliest you can make reservations was 5 o'clock. Game starts at 7. And so we got down there early, and I just thought, you know, we'll just walk in, and they'll, they'll you know, seat us. And, and right next door to uh, Texas de Brazil, there's a Nike store. And listen, I can smell a Nike store from 10 miles away. Okay, I can find them. It's, it's a spiritual gift that I have in my life. Um, so we went into the Nike store. We looked around a little bit, and we walked across the parking lot, and we walk in Texas de Brazil at 4.30. And I noticed that there's a reason why I could only get a reservation at 5 o'clock because they didn't open till 5. The door was open. We walked up to the hostess desk and I looked at her and said, ma'am, you're not open, are you? She said, no, we don't open till 5. But she said, I can go ahead and put your name down. I said, I have a reservation at 5. And I said, but here's the problem. I said, we've got to be downtown Orlando at the arena at 7. Game starts at 7. And you know we're going to be fighting traffic. And, you know, so if we are not seated till five and we eat, you know, hopefully we're, you know, walking out of here by, by six. I said, it's going to be tight. She says, I'll tell you what I'll do. At five o'clock, I'll seat you at the first table next to the kitchen. And she says, you'll get the best service there. Man, she was not kidding. I don't know how many of you have ever been to Texas de Brazil or a Brazilian steakhouse, but let me tell you, it's unlimited. And they just keep walking out with these skewers of meat. I mean, filet mignon, bacon wrap filet mignon. They have flank steak. They're, they're anything, there's they're sausage, leg of lamb, what, whatever. I mean, ribs. And, and they just keep bringing this stuff out. How many of you are hungry right now? Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. How many of you are thankful you're not on a fast right now? Amen? You'll get there soon enough. And they just keep bringing it out. Now, here's, here's, here's one of the issues that I have sometimes when I go to Texas de Brazil or a place like that, is that they, they don't cook the meat well done. Because apparently there's not enough of us people on the planet that obey the scriptures. Because the Old Testament tells us that we're not to eat the blood of, of an animal. And so, well done is the way that, that God intended for us to eat meat, Okay. I'm just telling you, I'm just like, God loves me more, but I'm just telling you. So we look at them, and I told them, I said, listen, listen, we, we both like it well done, and that's all we're going to eat. So if, if you keep bringing it to us, and it's not well done, if there's any pink whatsoever, we're not going to eat. And this one time, they listened. They, sometimes they don't listen. And man, there was three or four of these waiters coming by and with different cuts of meat, and it was cooked perfect, and we picked out. I'm telling you, last, last Monday, Caleb and I, it was borderline gluttony. I mean, we ate and ate, and, and I noticed Caleb was slowing down, and they have these little circles, that, that little cards, and on one side it's green, on one side it's red. If it's green, they keep bringing food to your table. If you flip it over red, it means I've tapped out. I'm done. I don't want any more. Well, I was still going strong. I'm not flipping mine over, and Caleb was afraid to flip his over, afraid that when they walk out of the kitchen, they would see his card and skip me, and so, you know... So we just, we kept eating and we kept eating. And, and finally, finally, I, I had my fill and I, I turned it over. And it was amazing, so good. But let me tell you, it 
does not, never will compare to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, verses 7 through 10. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride, that's us, has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. But the angel said to me, write this. Listen, listen to what the angel says to John. Write this. In other words, don't miss this, John. This is important. Like, John's already writing. And the angel says, write this down. This is important. You cannot miss this. Write this down. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Let me, let me read what the angel said again. Write this down, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wait, what? This, this can't be. This is impossible, right? You're telling me there's guests there? That at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there are, are guests that are invited? Like, I get it, I get it. I know, I know the groom is there. The groom is there. Jesus is there. The Son of God is there. It's his wedding. Uh, understand, it's, his, it, it, it's really all about him. You know, in, in our Americanized weddings, here's, here's the way we do it. We put all the attention on the bride. She walks in through the doors and everybody stands and turns and looks at her. It, it's our tradition. But let me tell you, at this wedding... It's not about us. When I take couples through premarital counseling, our last session is planning the wedding. And I look at the bride the whole time. And I look at the groom and I'm like, bro, I'm not ignoring you, but it's her wedding. You're just alone for the ride. Whatever she wants is what she's going to get. And she's going to handle all the details of this. Most weddings, that's the way it is. And, and I just, and the, he's like, fine, man, that saves me a headache. Just you know, keep her engaged in this. And so, but at the marriage supper of the Lamb, it's all about him. He is the center of attention at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It is all about Jesus. And so I know he's going to be there. And those of us who have called on the name of Jesus and we've received his salvation, we will make up the bride of Christ. So I know we are there. Jesus is there. The groom is there. The bride of Christ is there. I know, but, but who are these other guests? What are they referring to there? Who are these people? How many of you know that our God is a righteous judge, right? You understand this. He is, he is righteous. He, he, he understands how things have to work. And a lot of times we don't. Our finite minds, we can't comprehend this. And so it comes to my mind in the, in the middle of all this that if he's the righteous judge, it answers for us this age-old question. And, and, and for some of you, it's going to be a theological breakthrough right here, right now in this moment. Because what about all of those Old Testament saints that died in faith 
before the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Where do they spend eternity? What's up with that? I mean, they can't receive salvation because salvation has not yet been born. And so for hundreds of years earlier, you've got people that put their faith in God. They were faithful to God, Jehovah. But yet they were not candidates to receive salvation by faith because salvation had not been born yet. So what do you do with those people? John the Baptist, he even called himself a friend of the bridegroom. Possibly an invited guest to the wedding. Because John died before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. Revelation 20 and 6 pulls back the curtain a little bit to let us see this. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power. You see, the bride of Christ, it consists of all who believed after the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what about those that put their faith in God before the testimony of Christ? Hebrews chapter 11 is a very famous chapter in the Bible. It, we refer to it as the Hall of Faith chapter because it just lists all of these Old Testament saints and, and their faith and their trust and their God. And, and, and so we call it the Hall of Faith chapter and they, they walked in faith, but all of that, understand all of that happened before the birth of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 obviously was written after the, 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 life, or the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Christ, but it refers to all of these Old Testament saints that lived prior and died prior to that. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. This is the, the last two verses of chapter 11. And all these, that's the Old Testament saints, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That sounds a little unfair, right? All of these that were faithful to God, but just happened to live and die before the birth of Jesus Christ. All of these, commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us. Of course he did. We have put our faith in a resurrected Savior. So that is better for us. So they didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Apart from us, they should not be made perfect. In other words, without us, they will not be made perfect. Church, I don't know if you're understanding this yet. They're counting on us. They need us. And they are in waiting right now for the bride of Christ to show up because they're ready to celebrate with us. The Old Testament saints that, that put their faith in God before the life, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, before that, I'm telling you, they are your cheerleaders right now. I, I can prove this to you. You go to the very next verse. Now understand, Hebrews was not separated by chapters and verses. They did that for easy referencing for us. It continues to flow. It, it comes right out of it, and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded... By so great a cloud of witnesses. Who are the witnesses? They're the Old Testament saints that put their faith in God. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight 
and sin which clings so closely and let us run and en- with endurance the race that is set before us. Listen to me, church. This is our responsibility. They're counting on us. They need the bridegroom to show up. They need us to show up without blemish. And so the the prayer here is we've got to learn. We've got to fight against the temptation. We've got to fight against the sin. We've got to do everything within our ability to say, I want to love Christ. I want to live for Christ. I want to be part of the bride of Christ. And when you can't get it right, you understand that your righteousness is as filthy rags and that through him we have our righteousness and that's how the bride shows up. But I'm telling you, we've got some cheerleaders on the sidelines that they're counting on us and they're waiting on us. The souls of Old Testament saints are already assembled in heaven and when the bride of Christ arrives, there's going to be a celebration. In 1955, Jim Hill couldn't understand why a good woman like his mother-in-law could get so seriously ill. She was paralyzed by a stroke when she was only 50 years old. Still alive, but no quality of life. And Jim was a fairly new Christian, early in his faith, and he just couldn't understand why this had happened to such a wonderful woman, a God-fearing woman. It didn't make sense. So one day, he was driving home from work, and he was thinking about his mother-in-law and the scripture that he had heard in the Baptist church that he was attending came to his mind. The scripture that came to his mind was Revelation 21 and verse 4. And it says this, He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. He's driving home. This verse that he heard in church, as he's thinking about his mother-in-law, it embeds in his spirit, and he can't shake it. He gets home. He grabs a pen and a piece of cardboard. He was not a songwriter. But a song, a medley, started coming to his mind. And he started writing it down on this piece of cardboard. The next time that he and his wife and his wife's sister went to visit his mother-in-law, all the way there in the car ride, they, they sang this song, this medley together that he wrote. And when they got to her house, to the mother-in-law's house, they went in and they stood around her bed and they began to sing this new song. Man, I'm telling you, You start understanding why the scripture says sing a new song to the Lord, right? They start singing this new song freshly penned by by Jim. And for the first time in three years as they were singing, Jim's mother-in-law smiled and showed signs of excitement. For three years they had not, 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 not witnessed anything like this out of her life. But just the words to this song brought a smile to her face. That was a sign to Jim that this song was going to be blessed by God. And since then, the song has been an anthem of encouragement for many people. It has been recorded by more than 1,000 gospel groups and and individual artists. You might know the words to this song. And if you do, I want you to sing it with me. 
What a day that will be when my Jesus smiles and I look upon his face, the one that saved me by his grace. When he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. Come on, sing it like you mean it. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see and I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the what a day glorious day what a day it's going to be church I want to ask the band to come and join me on stage. It hit me earlier what God was doing in this moment. My prayer for Him to pull back the scales from our eyes, I want you to imagine this with me, if you will. Center aisle. The bridegroom, Jesus Christ, standing center stage, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and attendants. The doors open, and down the middle aisle starts walking in the bride of Christ, all who have called on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved all dressed in white and as we begin to walk down the center aisle thousands of us millions of us walking down the center aisle towards Jesus Christ our Savior not an eye in the room is looking at us because we're all looking at Jesus The one that paid for the celebration by giving his life. As we walk down the aisle, everyone in the room, including us, begins to sing their praise and their worship to the only one in the room that deserves it. What if we all start singing, I exalt thee in heaven at the same time. As a bride prepared for her husband, we walk in and we sing to our bridegroom. 
Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.